2: This podcast is sponsored by Agapi Match. Agapi Match is a boutique matchmaking service that caters to exceptional singles. To learn more about how I can help you, go to agapimatch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. In this week's episode, I am speaking to negotiations expert, Fotini Ikonomopoulos. And she'll be joining us as I answer your dating and relationship questions. Let's get started. Nicknamed the negotiator as a child, Fotini has been honing her skills her entire life. For the last decade, she's been empowering Fortune 500 executives and their teams to achieve their objectives through her expertise in negotiation, communication, and persuasion. She guides clients through high stakes scenarios and creates customized Intensive negotiation workshops for clients who want to further develop their teams across all industries. When she's not strategizing with clients, Fotini is a frequent guest on CBC, that is Canadian television, a professor of MBA negotiations at the Schulich School of Business, and offers her experience in nonprofit initiatives. If you can't tell by her last name, she is Greek. (laughs) So she's been recognized with a Greek American Foundation Top 40 Under 40 Award. That's a big deal among the Greek community. Uh, And of course, she has been recognized uh, as a woman of influence by the RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Award nominations and the Network of Executive Women Inclusion Award for her work to empower people in all areas of their lives. So welcome, Fotini to Ask a Matchmaker.
1: Thank you for the very warm welcome.
2: <laughs> um, I don't know if you noticed, but like I laughed out loud as I said your last name <laughs> because I can't say... Even though I'm Greek and I have two hard last names, you have a hard last name. That's not the problem, though. I can say Greek last names. I just don't know how to say Greek names in English accents.
1: Yeah, and it like, looks intimidating to most people because there's just a lot of syllables. But all you have to do is like sound it out.
2: I'm not in any way threatened by syllables oh no, 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 no. I, like i <laughs> no. have all the letters of the alphabet my full name not just maria Avgatidis. there's a whole periotakis that i hide behind all that um but it's like saying saying greek names in english is just really foreign to me like it, even even saying my married name periotakis is weird to me because i first of all i learned how to say it in english the wrong way through siri because whenever I, I tell siri you know hey call my husband it says calling George Pergeoticus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Siri still thinks my name is Fotney. I don't know why, but Apple and I don't get along for that reason.
2: So I love that you're called the negotiator. Did your parents call you that?
1: My dad. Like, I mean, to this day, he started calling me that when I was a kid. And to this day, he'll say every once in a while, we don't need to hear from you, negotiator. <laughs> like,
2: are they disappointed that you're not like a lawyer or are they okay with
1: they were like growing up they were super disappointed that I didn't become a doctor or a lawyer like they used to call me a lawyer when I was little assuming that would be where I went and then at right. some point because I was good at science they thought I would become a doctor and they're like what is this MBA thing that you speak of like that's not a job what what, what kind of future are you gonna have and it wasn't until like I started buying my own home and traveling like everywhere that they were like okay I, I think I can get
2: on board with this let's talk about work for a second so tell me a little bit more about your path to being this super successful negotiations expert.
1: So I was a salesperson before, and when I when I left my MBA, I did an MBA in organization behavior, which means very little to most people, and at the time didn't really mean a whole lot to me because I didn't start applying what I learned consciously for a really long time. But when I, when I left school, I went to companies like L'Oreal, and then I did a brief stint at Smuckers, and I was their salesperson who would go into Walmart and negotiate national projects and, and get them to pump more of our products in there and squash the competition. So it was really like sales is a relationship model, right? It's relationship selling. It wasn't like I had a cold call anybody over at Walmart. They all knew who I was. And I was poached by a negotiation consulting firm who was hired to train us to be better negotiators. So they were brought in to teach the sales team how to be better. And one day at the end of the training, they said, you should really be doing what we do. I'm like, what are you talking about? Sure. Someday when I've got more experience, I was in my twenties and they said, no, seriously, and then I joined them. I joined them. I started traveling the world. I started training other sales teams. I started working with executives. I started working on real life negotiations instead of just training propositions. So when, when a global retailer or an airline or a, a credit card company is breathing down the neck of some other company, mm-hmm. I'm the one they call and I coach them through what to say and how to say it and how to handle it. And now my work has evolved into public speaking So I go from audience to audience, helping people find moments of empowerment throughout their day. Cause we don't just negotiate in the boardroom. We negotiate every day, every minute. Exactly.
2: And that's actually one of the reasons why I, uh, I wanted you as a guest on Ask a Matchmaker. So Fortuny is my go-to girl when I can't figure out what to say. (laughs) Um, there have been instances, not just, uh, work-wise, but although you have helped me with work a lot there are instances in life, you know, where you need to figure out, you know, what is the plan here of how I'm going to speak to this person and get the outcome that I want. And, you know, for me personally, it's been, you know, talking to ex-roommates to, you know, talking to clients, but, but especially talking to people that you're dating. I'm sure I'm going to say this later on when I start answering questions, but so much of what the beginning of dating is, is teaching other people how to, how to treat you. To me, that's Negotiations 101 is, you know, how you communicate what your limits are.
1: It's knowing how, what your boundaries are and making sure that people play within it. It's, it's influencing others to get them to treat you the way that you want to. It's persuading to get what you want out of the relationship and not in a malicious way, Mm -hmm. but just how it's human relations. That's all this is. It's, it's conflict prevention as much as possible. And the occasional conflict management scenario, that's negotiation in a nutshell.
2: I feel like every relationship can benefit from this. You know, even today, I, you know, being postpartum, (laughs) I just had a child, just had a baby a few weeks ago. You know, sometimes I think when you're really exhausted and you're talking to your partner, emotions can run high because you're exhausted. Yeah. You know, today I found myself just kind of tripping over my hormones and just needed taking a breather. And I, 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 I thought of Fotini, I, I, you know, Fotini, we'll probably talk about this later, but she has her, her business card is literally the picture of a pause button. <laughs> and I had to visualize and just like, pause, go to the other room for a second, just calm down because this does not matter. Like what we're about to fight about, like truly does not matter. And then I came back after, you know, I needed 15 minutes and we laughed, we were laughing, trying to like make up quote unquote. And, but it was all about, you know, trying to figure out like, okay, how I'm going to communicate what I need out of this to make it work. And that is just a form of negotiation.
1: Totally. Totally. I mean, Um, I, I help people all the time. My personal network, as well as my professional one, handle difficult conversations with their spouses or even everyday conversations with their spouses. I've helped folks with their um, mediation for child custody agreements. I've helped friends get out of abusive relationships and how to talk to that person and how to negotiate your way out of it. You know, what are the things that you're going to say that aren't going to trigger somebody even further, but what it all comes down to. So often is what you talked about. It's that little mental pause button. Cause when we're faced with a stressor, a trigger, uh, a difficult moment, we go into our, our ancestral, like our cavewoman or caveman fight or flight mode, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that moment when you're getting super upset and all rational thought completely leaves your brain. And that's when you have those moments that made you go, oh God, why did I do that? Or here's what I should have said. Why didn't I think to do that in that moment? So if I can train people to just find a way to access their mental pause button, to take a breath And allow that rational thought to come back in like you did when you go, this is not worth fighting about. This is so ridiculous. Now I can laugh about it. But in the moment when your ego is being triggered, when you're your most defensive, when you want to jump down somebody's throat, it's really hard to do that. So it's like flexing a muscle to be able to access that, that pause button. So I give out those cards at every single speaking engagement that I go to. I tell people to save it as a screenshot when I'm in virtual events all because that little visual trigger hopefully will be something that you can recall in the moment. It's like doing your, your exercises every day.
2: I think, you know, this, but my sister hoarded like 10 business (laughs) cards of yours and they're literally, when you go to her apartment, they're all, they're in every room. That's amazing. I love
1: hearing that. (laughs) It's
2: just the pause button. Like it's just, but it's I guess it, it really works for her and it works for me too. I don't usually use it that much, but I use it today and worked really well. So, okay. How much of your work spills into your personal life? Every day. So
1: okay. I would say because of my work, I have a better relationship with my parents. Because like you, I grew up in the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So oh, it's a that's...
2: documentary. It's not a movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, is, that is rife for conflict every day. So I do use it all the time with them. I use it with my nieces. I use it on dates. I use it when I'm out and about with people, whether it's potential clients or friends or whatever, because I'm not consciously using it. This is just a skill set. That I have. It's a communication skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> when, in my, when I'm in my dating life, I can cut through the bullshit real fast. I can spot behaviors that I think are going to be problematic, egos, defensiveness, that kind of thing. But on the flip side, I can also keep a conversation going for a really long time. So often, you know, men will want to go on a second date. I may not have the in- interest, but I can keep the conversation going for a really long time. I can be engaging when I want to turn it on or when I'm you know, interested, because I'm part of my job is asking good questions. So right. there's a way to keep the conversation going. So I would say it, definitely, it's not something I consciously try to turn on and off, because I will never try to be manipulative in what I do. So people get really standoffish. I try to avoid in my dating world telling people what I do for a living, because they're like, oh, great, argue with me. And I'm like, that's not what my job is it's a bit temperamental in terms of how it comes up in conversation.
2: Let's go into some Q&A. Tell me before we do this, tell me a little bit more about your friends when they come to you with their dating problems.
1: Oh God. <laughs> what do you want to know exactly? Cause yeah, they do come to me pretty frequently. It's like, let's analyze this or overanalyze that. Or what do I say? Like there's a lot of those moments. Um, and I don't mind them. I mean, I love talking to my friends, but sometimes it's just about, no, this is, they said this to you. This is what it means. Don't, most of the time it's like, don't overanalyze it and try and turn it into something that you want it to be. This is who this person is. And they're showing you your,
2: their true colors. I I agree. I always, I always tell people like, you know, look at the first three dates, how he treated you. That's what it's going to be like. Nothing's really going to change.
1: Yeah. I mean, Um, you and I are obviously a lot on the same page a lot. That's why I Wednesdays are my favorite day of the week because of Ask a Matchmaker Wednesday.
2: (laughs) So I actually have two audio questions that came in. So I want to, I want to play those for you, for our listeners. If you have a question throughout the week, you can always email us at askamatchmakerpodcast at gmail.com, and you have the option of emailing us a question with text or emailing us a question with audio. Let's listen to the first one. Hey, Maria. My name's Amira. I'm 38 years old. Uh, lately, uh, I've been attracting lots of introverts, which is different because I'm a bit outgoing and pretty bubbly. What I find though is that very soon after I meet them, I'm scaring them away. What do you think I can do to put men I meet at ease in the beginning of a relationship? Thanks a lot. So my initial reaction to this question is that introvert, extrovert, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. (laughs) If someone um, is attracted to a bubbly personality, that's actually going to be his favorite thing about you. You will not really have to do much. It just organically kind of happens. I think there might be other things that could be scaring this person off if they're even being scared. Maybe they're just not attracted to you. But what do you think?
1: I think you're right. I don't think it matters the the type of personality you are. If that's going to be a shock to their system, then you can kind of reframe it for them, right? Instead of making them think, oh my God, this woman's overwhelming. Um, You can say, look, I'm really passionate or I get really excited when I meet people who I I feel like I have a connection with. And that will look a lot less like intimidation versus excitement. So like almost label it something else in their minds. You can also help put them at ease by saying something like, if I get overwhelming or if I'm asking too many questions, just let me know. Like open up the bridges of communication. That's all it comes down to all the time is, How are you going to make sure that you manage other people's expectations and that they know your expectations too? So I don't think it matters what type of personality you are, if it's introvert, extrovert, but be clear about your expectations, be understanding and think about it from their perception as well. Why would extroversion be a problem for them? Maybe they don't know how to get a word in edgewise. So maybe you need to preface that with, Hey, if I'm talking too much and you want to say something, feel free to interrupt me. I'm not offended by that. You know, there's ways to manage people's expectations. That's all it is.
2: I completely agree with you. One of the reasons why I also feel like it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter as long as you are able to respect each other's limits. In terms of respecting people's limits when they are introverted, and I think this is where the confusion happens, is that it's what you said, sometimes we can steamroll over people while we're talking. It's definitely about respecting other people's limits, introverted or extroverted, and also what you said, managing those expectations. And you should be asking them questions.
1: Like, if you are gonna to go to a party together and you know that there's some intuitive things that we know, like introverts hate working a room. That's me putting my hand up, can't stand it. Um, and so you might ask them, hey, how do you usually enjoy parties like this? Or, you know, if you're getting overwhelmed, pull me, pull me aside or whatever it is, or feel free to walk away or take a break or walk outside or whatever. Understand what those little boundaries are going to be for each of you. Or if, if you know they're going to be dragging you out the door because they just want to make an appearance and jump out, you need to be clear with them and go, hey, I know it's going to be a challenge for both of us. Let's think about compromising here. I know you want to leave early. I want to stay to the end, but let's find a compromise that's going to work for the both of us. But again, it comes back to
2: managing expectations. I mean, After I feel like this is just good advice for everyone, even if you're in a relationship. I f- everything you just said, I still do with my husband. Every time we go out, we go to a wedding. We literally talk about our expectations yeah. as a couple while we're at the event. It's almost like have how that long negotiation. do you think we're going to stay? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, it's like, if, can you have that negotiation before it becomes a contentious situation? Mm. Can you have the discussion while you're both of sound mind and calm instead of waiting until this person is full of resentment and you don't know why, or vice versa, when you're both coming into the ring, ready to like lash out at each other, it's not going to be a great conversation. You're going to end up fighting and both of you go home upset. But if you can talk about it in advance and prevent those conversations from happening when you are, you know, building up something, then I think a lot of my work is about helping to prevent conflict. Like I said, instead of managing it in the moment, you can plan ahead. You can anticipate so many of these things. If you've been to, with, to a wedding with your husband before, you know the routine. You know, when he gets edgy, you know, he knows when you're going to be like on the dance floor and so on. And he's going to be on his own. So talk about those things before you get to that point where you're upset with each other.
2: Right. So a text question. It's actually directed towards you. Fotini, you said you have mediated divorces. What are some ways or keywords to end a relationship with someone who gaslights me? Oh, that's a good question. Anonymous. Um, To end a relationship, what you need to do is talk about your
1: feelings. This comes straight from like marriage therapy where if you can say, hey, when this happened, when this action happened, here's how I felt. I felt insecure, betrayed, whatever it is. And I just can't be in a relationship where I'm going to be feeling that way. So it's about me, it's not you did this to me because if you start doing that and pointing fingers, proverbial or not, they're gonna start to get super defensive and they're gonna start, you're gonna start arguing for no reason. This is somebody you wanna walk away with anyway. So like end it pleasantly or at least in a calm way to go, here's how I felt in that moment when this happened when you said those words here's how i felt and i my boundaries are i just can't be in a relationship that makes me feel that way so i wish you well and and i need to find something else so it's almost like you're not blaming yourself but Mm -hmm. you're telling somebody your feelings is something they can't deny they can deny you if you say to them you did this they go no i didn't but if you say i felt this way they can't go no you didn't feel that way that's ridiculous. So if you can kind of turn your language around and talk about your feelings, something that they can't deny, that makes
2: life a little bit easier. That's great. I love that. We've Got another text question here. What do you do when a guy is being rude, but not sure if he is kidding? I think I like him, but not sure if I should pursue. Uh, I wish people gave examples, like specific examples when they ask these questions. I feel like if, if you have to figure out if someone's kidding when they're rude, they're rude.
1: I mean, generally that would be my instinct. And I'd say our instincts are usually bang on, but I have a brother-in-law who's like super dry wit and somebody might interpret that as rude. I know his personality. So I would say if you're unsure of something, clarify. So in the negotiation world, I tell people to ask clarifying questions. What did you mean by that exactly? I'm not sure I understand, I understood your tone. Can you elaborate? That's not a defensive thing. That's not an unusual question to ask. So ask a different question And you'll get a little bit more data to help you go, oh no, this is not the type of person I'm going to be with. Or oops, totally misunderstood that. That's just his sarcastic tone. But if my gut is like, if you think they may be being rude,
2: they probably are being rude. I have another audio question. My name is Lana and I'm 28.
0: My friend is dating the wrong guy. He's just not right for her. How can I persuade her from dating him? Or is it none of my business?
1: This is such a tough position to be in. And it's a position that I have been in more times than I would like to count. Um, the old adage of love is blind is really true. And I feel a personal responsibility to my friends to say something. Because when I think back to my first serious relationship, um, I remember I was with this guy for over two years. And I remember after we broke up months later, my best friend saying to me, yeah, we all hated that guy. I'm like, why didn't anybody say anything to me? Because <laughs> I didn't see the flaws did you, until- Did you
2: really not know I knew I was
1: in denial and he was feeding me all sorts of stuff. And I was naive. Like, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. And I didn't even tell them the half of the crap that he put me through. I didn't know that they didn't like him though. At least some of them. I knew my family didn't like him, but I didn't think they would like anybody. So I kind of wrote that off.
2: You know, I've been in relationships where um, I feel like my friendship just like in me, like take my shoulders and shake me. I think most of my friends would be too scared to do that to me. I mean, no, of course, my friends are. First of all, I tower over my friends. I'm like a foot taller than most of my friends. Like, what <laughs> they can't reach my shoulders. But um, I think what, you know, oxytocin, the chemical that comes out even when you're kissing, is a really powerful drug. Yeah. So even if your friends told you, you know, this guy's a bad guy, I don't, you know, so many of us have these blinders on where you don't, yeah. or you can't even listen to your friends.
1: Well, and that's the thing. And if you, if you say it in a certain way where they get defensive, because what's going to happen is you're now going to tell somebody that their judgment is poor. That's a personal insult to me. Now that's my ego in play. Now I'm going to be super defensive. And the only way to protect my ego is to distance myself from you because you're the one that made my ego, that bruised my ego or made my ego feel bad. So you going in there saying, I don't like this guy. I don't think he's good for you. That's actually not gonna be very helpful. Even though, like I said, I feel a personal responsibility to do something. The thing I need to do is to get that person to see things without it being my words telling them that. So so it's almost like so if if you go back to the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, my mom's favorite line is the man is the head of the family, but the woman is the neck. So you're gonna be the neck. You're gonna turn it, turn the head in the direction that it needs to go. Without forcing your words on them. So, my strategy is always a questioning strategy. What do you know about your friend and what she said she wants or he wants in a partner? So, you know, I've been in this exact situation where I've said, hey, you said to me this and this and this is what you want how does this person meet those expectations or have you noticed that when you're together, this and this happens by asking a question and just bringing forth your observations or asking her to bring forth her own observations. That's how she may come to the conclusion on her own. If you've done that, and I've been there too, where this person says, I want someone who's going to be X, Y, and Z. And then you ask the question, you go, how is that person fulfilling X, Y, and Z? What if he doesn't fulfill X, Y, and Z? What will you do if you see them not? What does it take to make you sure that they are fulfilling this thing? I've been in a situation where one of my friends was marrying somebody, now her ex husband, who I didn't think was good for her. And I asked her the question, I said, what do you need to hear from him? to make you think that he's going to fulfill all of these characteristics that you need in a husband. And she made it very, she made a list. She was journaling it. She did it all. And then she came to me. She's like, he said all the right things. I said, okay, now do you believe him? And there was doubt. There was a lot of doubt going into that wedding. So wow. you can judge for what you want, whether it should have happened or not, things happen. But I, if I said to her, here's what I think you should do. Then in fact, one of my friends has asked me that, what do I do? She was not sure she should go through with her own wedding. And I said, if I tell you what to do, you're going to be resentful of me if you're unhappy. And like, if I tell you to marry him and you're disappointed or upset or sad, it's going to be my fault. You're going to blame it on me. And, and you're gonna be resentful and it's gonna hurt our relationship. If I tell you to walk away from him and you're sad or depressed about it, again, you're gonna blame it on me. The person who has to live with this decision has to be the one that makes that decision. So I said, the only thing I can do is coach you the way I would coach my clients tell me what you want in a partner. How does this person meet those expectations? What do you need to hear from him? I asked all of those questions to get her one step closer to it. Years later, she said to me, I knew exactly what you would have done in my situation. I knew you would have run for the hills, like the first sign of doubt, you would have been out of there. But I appreciated you not telling me in that moment.
2: You know, this is actually uh, advice that I give to parents. So parents sometimes ask me, I hate it when they ask me this, by the way, but They'll say stuff like, I don't like the person that my son is dating. How do I get him to break up with her? Oof. You know, I feel for the mother, but I also feel for the, the fiance, the, you know, the girlfriend, cause have yeah. been in that position myself. And, um, sometimes, you know, it's not, it's not about her. It's, it, it could have been any her, this woman, the yeah. mother will still be mad. Right. Cause it's, it's also, also about audience. So what I usually ask the parent is like, well, what do you, what do you not like about this person? And if it's anything that has nothing to do with their character, I just ignore it. Yeah. If it's about race, if it's about religion, if it's about, you know, body type, like that's none of your business. Your child has made peace with all those things that you consider obstacles, they'll be fine. But when they say stuff like, you know, well, I think that the person that my child's with is abusive or, you know, whatever, then I'll, then I start. I start saying like, well, you should have a conversation with your kid and it should be like, I try to use like the Socratic method, like what you said, like just keep asking questions to figure out well, why are you dating this person? Yeah. Well, here's what I've learned is when parents get involved, their children will date that person even more. It's despite them. <laughs> oh sure. yeah. So sometimes I tell parents just walk away. You know, you have to trust that you've taught your child, you know, well of how to choose someone and, and, and they'll have to live with, their, with those consequences of those decisions. But you getting involved, you in particular getting involved is not going to help anyone. It's yeah. going to make your child date them even more harder than ever before. <laughs> if you just give it a rest for a few months, you'll see that if this relationship is not meant to be, they'll probably break up on their own.
1: I think that's a, that's a really great point because the other thing to bear in mind is some people are just triggered by, it doesn't matter if, if you care about them to the ends of the earth. They just don't want to listen to you. And usually that's a parent relationship. It could be a sibling relationship. It could be the know-it-all friend, whatever it is. So who is their voice of reason? Who would they listen to? And is that person a better vehicle to serve this line of questioning or to have that conversation versus them being defensive from the get-go because it came out of your mouth versus someone else's? So there's also that element to think about as well when you're having these difficult conversations.
2: So let's see what other text questions we have here. He said he loves me, but is confused and has to figure things out. Four months in, do I walk? What do he have to figure out? I'm always weirded out by these questions because I could say like stuff like he's confused or he has to figure things out. Maybe like the first month, because <laughs> maybe they're not, um, maybe someone has yet to recognize that they're about to go on their last first date ever. <laughs> they're about to have their last first kiss ever. And that is a lot for people to come to terms with. And I think when people say, you know, I love you, but I'm confused, that's usually what they mean is like, I need to come to terms with that. This is it. This is who I've chosen. But if they're asking for a break, I feel like breaks are just a inevitable breakup. Eventually. It's just a delay to the inevitable. It's not. A friends episode. (laughs) I've been
1: I've been of the same mindset. You if you break up, you break up for a reason. What in what capacity are you going to make be able to surmount that reason? What's gonna change? Right. And I would say look at what's the root cause of that breakup. Is it a character flaw? Characters don't change. Is it a behavior that can or cannot change? I'd say the only thing that comes to mind for me, if someone's confused four months in, they love you, but they're confused. What is there gonna be confused about is what exactly went through my head too. Unless there is some massive circumstance because context is everything. If you, if it means giving up my family for this person, because that has caused so much strife. And I know I, it's happened in my world, in my network where, you know, someone is the wrong race, the wrong religion, the wrong, whatever. And it's an ultimatum from their family or something. I can understand that level of confusion. That oh, is yeah. a big decision to make. But if it's, I don't know if I want to just kiss you for the rest of my life or whatever. If you, if, if you told me you love me and you're still not sure about that, that for me is like, no, that's reason to walk away unless I
2: hate the English language. Like I've said this before in, in like in conversations with people, but love in English, it yeah. really, it's an umbrella for a lot of feelings. This is why Greek words are superior to English when it comes to love. And because,
1: we abuse it more than ever these days. Everybody abuses the word love all the time.
2: Oh my gosh. It's insane. Cause this is why I like, so in Greek, there's five words for love, right? Let's talk about some of these. Like one is storge, which is the love that a parent has for a child. Philia, friend, friendship, right? But then you have eros, which is lust. Then you have agape, which is unconditional love. And then you have mania, which is the bad love, the obsessive love. And if you are dating someone for less than seven months, I don't care if you've already gotten married. <laughs> I don't care if you're already pregnant with your first kid you were still in the arrow stage of love. You were still in lust. Now I get it that English is limiting. When someone says, I'm in in love with you, what they're, what they're trying to say is, I'll say it in Greek, which means I'm in lust with you, which doesn't make sense. No one talks like that in English. So someone says to you at four months in, he says he loves me. Okay. So he's in lust with you, but he's confused. I don't know what context the confusion is from. It could be what you said. It could be, I'm confused because maybe we're different religions or there's different values at play that I still need to make sense of. Okay, but if you're confused about, okay, is this the person that I want to be with the rest of my life? Okay, you're done. Like it's not, there's not really much to be confused about. The thing about dating is that there's a lot of steps to it. You know, you start off with step one, first date, you go to the second date, you go to the third date, but each of these things, are you just ticking off? Like, does this person make me happy on a day-to-day level? Am I happy with this person? Am I having fun with this person on a day-to-day level? And eventually those days add up to months and eventually those months add up to years. And if there are more days where you are confused or if there are more days where it's negative and that one positive day is giving you enough energy for the next few weeks of negativity, you're in a, you're in a toxic relationship, but you're in a bad relationship. Yeah. You're about to transition your Eros love into Mania love, the obsession, the the mania behind it all.
1: The other thing I would, I would add to that is like, if you're four months in, or three months in, or whatever, and you're in that honeymoon stage of love, and it's this problematic already, mm. what is that foreshadowing for the rest of your relationship?
2: Not to say that like the first few months will have some waves, but those waves are actually what you talked about, Fatinia. It's about managing people's expectations of your your personality, but also uh, expressing what your limits are. Yeah, those are the waves of a healthy relationship in the beginning. There's no, let's go on a break or I'm confused or whatever. It, that, that's, this is what it is.
1: But that's confusion that could be resolved with conversation as opposed yeah. to, I need to go away and think about the, my ideal person or whatever. I feel like that's, I mean, that's unusual for me in, a, in that early stage.
2: Kevin is asking, when you're on a first date, how quickly do you know if you're interested or not in the guy that you are at with? I think with women, we tend to give men a chance. We tend to wait until the end of the date. It's it's not as quick as with men are with women, I've learned. And I say this as someone who has set up over 3000 first dates just in the island of Manhattan. I've always noticed that women give men a chance. Almost all women, let's say 98% of women. They want to learn more about the guy. A physical attraction is a second tier. The first tier is how does he make me feel? Does he make me laugh? How quick does rapport get established? Is he nice to the wait staff? Certain certain things are looked at before a woman determines, you know, oh, I like this person or I don't like this person. With men, it's a lot quicker, I've learned. Like, even if Kevin was asking like, how quickly does a man know if he's interested in the guy on the date? It's seconds. Men with men and men with women, it's quite literally seconds of am I interested in going on a second date with this person or not? And it has to do with physical attraction usually. I'm I'm with
1: you. I think for men, and I can't remember where I've read so much. It's hard to keep track of where this all comes from. With men, there's a a mindset of miss or mister right now, as opposed to right. Mm -hmm. And I think when I think about most women I know who are going on dates and going on dates, they probably shouldn't like second and third and fourth. It's usually because we're looking for a reason to be with you. And I feel like the male brain is looking for a reason
2: to rule you out. I mean, you know, I'll tell you where I disagree with this. I feel like a lot of a man being in a serious relationship has to do with ego. And that ego is um, laying on the foundation of, am I happy where I am in life to pursue a relationship? I agree with you, men date misses right now, men marry misses right now. Like I've always noticed even in matchmaking, women are always ready for the right guy to come along. <laughs> you know, be she can be 22, she could be 32. Um, she could be 42. If he showed up right now, she's ready to go. Whereas with a man, it's like, it doesn't matter if she's perfect. (laughs) If he is 24 and he still doesn't feel like he has the right job to provide, if that's something that he values, or um, he's not where he is in life, like just the ego, the ego of self-actualization. If it's not where it needs to be, it just, he's not going to pursue it. He's not going to put in the 100%. Or maybe he'll drag it along thinking, okay, I can date her until I get there. Like there's just a lot going on. Let's go to the next question. Is it normal for your boyfriend to be friends with all his exes? I feel like I'm being insecure. And when I voice my concerns about the closeness, he sort of brushes me aside. I don't think it's normal for anyone to be friends with any of their exes. Full stop. I don't think you should be friends with your exes. I feel like if you are on the, if you are currently Facebook friends with your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, you should go on Facebook right now or Instagram or whatever social media you're using and just delete them. And they, and if they take it personally, that's weird. (laughs) They'll know, they'll say, okay, she must be happy. He must be happy. Goodbye. Like you're out of my life.
1: Yeah. I'm like, exes are like cancer. You cut them out. You know, you you can't be in a in a romantic relationship with them for a reason. There's some flaw in your chemistry in your relationship or whatever it is. So why keep them around? I would suspect, based on what I know of human behavior, the reason somebody wants to keep those exes around is probably because of ego. Oh, it's always about ego. I can't stand the idea of someone not liking me. Therefore, I'm going to keep them as my friend. And when I've, whenever I've had conversations with exes about remaining friends, I'm like, we can absolutely be civil. I will always be friendly to you if I see you. I will absolutely wish you well, but I have zero interest in going and grabbing a beer with you. I do not need to hear about your next conquest or your next girlfriend or wife or whatever it is, but I will be happy for you. How is that going to help me personally heal from whatever trauma we just went through because we broke up for a reason if I have you constantly as a reminder in my face? So... I I just don't, I don't see the question.
2: She also wrote, when I voice my concerns about the closeness, he sort of brushes me aside. You know what, Anonymous? You are not the first person that has been insecure about this with him. Anyone who brushes aside stuff, it's because they're used to hearing that complaint. Whereas if it was the first time he was hearing it, he would stop in his tracks and address it, which is probably what he did with the first woman who said this to him. Totally. So if he's brushing you aside, I mean, this is learn, be- you know, he knows what to do to brush it aside. And one day you will be friends when he breaks up with you <laughs> or when you break up with him. That's ex- And now he just collects ex-girlfriends, like bobbleheads. <laughs> he just keeps them on the mantle and he looks at them and says, oh, I used to date her and I used to date her. Oh, that's nice. I dated her. Like it's, an, it's what you said. It's exactly, it's totally ego keeping onto exes. I don't think it's normal. Um, and to be honest, I would consider that a deal breaker. Me too. Okay. Here's a great question. Ooh, I wonder if you have an answer for this one. What is a good time to mention to your date that you have an STD if you are (laughs) looking for a serious relationship? Definitely
1: before you get physical with them, before they have the opportunity to catch it. Like that's, that's a no brainer. Like you have to be forthcoming with them. If you can find a way to have a conversation with them about your values, about valuing transparency, about why they should want to know, almost like finding a way to get them to say that they would want to know, then it's like they've laid the foundation for you to open up and be honest with them. Um, I would say that's not something you have to talk about on the first date because there's no consequences to it on the first date, but it depends on how quickly you want to get physical with somebody too, but definitely like boundary is you have to tell them. It would be horrible. It's not a very good way to build any trust if you're carrying a secret with them and they've already been potentially exposed to something. That's just unfair.
2: I think if someone is looking for a number, I would tell them that you should have the SCD talk between date three and five because the purpose of a first date is not to talk about (laughs) SCDs. It's just to, you know, the purpose of first date is to go on a second date, full stop. It's to have fun. Did you have fun? You're going on a second date. That's it. Um, The purpose of a second date is to reaffirm that you had fun on a first date, or it wasn't just your imagination, or you just having a good day. And then now that you're on date three, four, five, this is where you could talk a little bit more about vulnerabilities. And one of those things is having STD talk, especially if you are sexually active. The truth of the matter is, is that a lot of people have STDs. Let's go back to what you said with So how would you, what's the template here for this person?
1: The more important question is how you say it, as opposed to when you say it. So mm-hmm. the how you say it is you want, start with a why like why it is something that is they should want to share with you should want to share with them how does it benefit them to share that information sure it benefits them because they're not going to get it or they can protect themselves but it's more like it's important i think it's important that i be transparent with you i respect you enough to want to share everything with you to make sure that we're you know an open book together to make sure that we're both on the same page about a lot of things and because of my respect and my Value on transparency. And then hopefully, he'll that this person will then reciprocate and want to be just as transparent with you. And before you even open your mouth and say the words, they're going to go, Oh, this person respects me. Oh, this person values transparency. You're demonstrating values. It's not just action, it's not just words, it's the actions, right? So you're about to act on that value, but communicate it something that's going to benefit them that they should feel really good about. And then you go, Okay, here's the situation that I'm in if we're on the same page about transparency and values, hopefully this isn't a problem, but I can understand if it is. They are, and I would hopefully also, if you have ways in which, I mean, it depends on, I guess, on the STI or whatever it is, if there's ways to prevent things, if there's, tests to take or whatever, come armed with that information as well to make it a little bit easier for them. So tell them I was tested X amount of time ago, or condoms will help, or mm-hmm. here are some preventative measures that can be taken. And I'm all for that. I'll take care of it. Anything that you can do to make that, that proposition a little bit easier for them. Like don't make them go away and have to figure out all this homework. That's a lot to, to carry for that person. So what can you do to make their life a little bit easier when you drop this information on them?
2: I'm going to take a break from answering questions for a moment. I want to go back to Fotini's life for a second. Uh, Fotini, I have been, I follow your Instagram. I love your Instagram. It is such a wealth of content. If you are not following Fotini, you should. Um, our Instagram handle, which you will find in the podcast detail notes, um, is Fotini, F-O-T-I-N-I, icon, I-C-O-N. You have been doing this project 40 to 40. 40. Yeah. So for 40 days. Leading up to my
1: 40th birthday. I'm I'm the one giving gifts, so you and I both know that in our culture, when it's your name day, when it's your birthday, you're the one that's treating everybody. Yeah. And my birthday in July was supposed to be, you know, on an island in Greece having a party. I was supposed to go last summer, and I got caught up writing the book, and I couldn't escape. And this summer was like perfect. 40th birthday. That's where I'll do it. I don't have to worry about planning a party or whatever, just a few friends. And uh, since that's not happening, <laughs> I was like, yeah. well, what else can I do? to make this birthday a little bit more memorable. And like I said, I love to treat my friends. And so, so the 40 to 40 was like short, sharp. Um, how can I give like manageable bite-sized chunks of information so people can dip in and out if they want to? Our attention spans are the size of a fruit fly these days. So I mean, it's great people-
2: because you have it on video, but then I love reading the, the caption. The caption has all the, the information. So I want to read like, for instance, day 18. You talked about negotiation experts study that showed that they are testing understanding far more frequently than average negotiators saying phrases like if I heard you correctly, it seems that will not only clarify, but build some trust as the other party will feel acknowledged. You're signaling that you're listening and that you will go a long way to help make them more cooperative. And I was reading this Fotini, and I thought to myself, Oh, that is so good. Such good dating advice. Yeah. Because you know, Like I said before, when you start dating someone in the beginning, this is literally when you're teaching them how to treat you. Yeah. If you can clarify and if you can acknowledge and if you can manage the expectations in the beginning, it just, you're just, it's like building a highway. Imagine a
1: road with all of these barriers and blocks and speed bumps. Every time you clarify something, every time you test understanding, you're removing a block. Every time you go, it sounds like this is what you mean by that. Did I get that correct? You're now removing a block.
0: Hmm. You know
1: you're just paving the way to success by removing obstacles by testing that understanding. And people can be really vague. So the reason why this is so important is because they will say something like, "Trust is important to me." Well, what does trust look like to you? That's clarifying. That's testing understanding.
2: Oh, I love that. How do That's you demonstrate good. trust? That's so you know, good.
1: Th- th- those are these are questions that I tell people to use in like, even salary negotiations, but relationship negotiations. All of them. Ask a question to clarify because if they're speaking in vague terms later on what's going to happen is you're going to have a fight and they're going to go but I told you this I thought you meant this I thought it looks like this particular action or, or behavior or whatever it was if you're unsure then you're definitely going to end up having a fight about it later at some point
2: well, that's a really great first date question if it came up or like if someone said I'm looking for someone trusting and you saying back well what does trust look like to you yeah. oh that is such a good first date question so let's go back to the Q&A before we wrap up What keywords could help me make my husband understand that we need to create boundaries with his parents? I'm at my wits end. I
1: think that goes back to the element I mentioned earlier about feelings. When this happens or when we're around your parents, these are the types of feelings that I have. And so talk about your feeling boundaries, because I don't know, like you could have certain trigger words if it's predictable. In many cases it is. You know, when your mom starts talking about what a terrible cook I am or something like that, that makes me feel this way. And I can't help that. Here's what I need from you in that moment to make this tolerable. Lay out your expectations for your partner too, to so that he or she knows how to support you in that moment.
2: Oh yeah. Your partner <laughs> has to definitely advocate for you. You know, yeah. you're their family. <laughs> you're their new family. Yeah. and that is, I don't mean that, that person has to be disrespectful to his own parents. Absolutely not. But there has to, you have to advocate for, you know, if you are the person whose parents are being hard on your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, you have to learn how to advocate for your partner, for them and respect those and create the boundaries, respect the boundaries. And also just understand the limits of your relationship. For instance, if, if it's really uncomfortable staying over your parents' house, get a hotel. If that's what's just going to make everyone happy, just do that. Yeah. I mean, your parents will see that you're happier too. I mean, that's what your parents want to see that you're happy.
1: So if you're if you're expressing your feelings and saying, here's how I feel every time we go to your parents' house or every time we stay over, I feel overwhelmed or I can only handle so many hours. Also try to offer a solution
2: to go, here's what would help me in that moment. Fantastic. Let's do two more questions. Stacey, we have you on the line. I went on this three dates with
0: this guy. I have a fourth one this weekend. I've had a really fun time on our dates, but uh, recently I've gotten like advice from friends that you know I don't know about this guy. Um, so his biggest flaw is that he lacks some chivalry skills. Like we. Um, just have gone for walks and he lives 30 minutes away from me. I live in Chicago. And so the first time he came downtown, second time, second couple times, I went out near him and, um, we had fun, but we were on like the third date we were on for like about eight hours. We never got any food or anything. I mean, I didn't ask. Cause I think maybe I was just caught up in the moment. I took an Uber home late, like 11. He never asked me if I got home. Okay. And I think that was the one thing that bothered me. And so this past weekend we were supposed to go out and I asked him if he could come downtown this time and he kind of like, I don't know if it's called protesting but He just said, oh, you know, I've driven um, to my office three days this week. I just don't want to drive far, Um, but then agreed to it, but then texted me Sunday saying he wasn't feeling well, but then said he would come downtown to meet me this upcoming weekend. So I guess, yeah, to make a long story short, I mean, I do really like him. I don't want to write him off. But um, you know I'm starting to get all these doubts like, okay, how should I be treated? And I guess maybe I don't know if this is too superficial, kind of wondering if he's ever gonna take me out like to eat or you know now that things are opening up or even offer to order food or anything like that.
2: So you live in Chicago mm-hmm. and he lives how far away from you? He lives at 30 minutes away. He with does a, with a car, in other words.
0: Yeah, so I do have a car, um, but my car right now is not in the city because my parking garage is doing construction. So I took Ubers to see him. And I think that that was kind of um, like, especially when I was telling other friends or like, okay, like I can't believe this guy is being so inconsiderate and making you kind of travel and and stuff like that. Um, But on the last date, he did say like, oh no, like I don't want you to spend all this money. You know, I can meet you halfway somewhere. How old are you? 32. And how old is he? He's 29, but he'll be 30 in August. And are you both employed right now? Yes.
2: me, what are your um, initial thoughts? I have a few, but I want to know yours. I think he's oblivious,
1: but I also think he does, if he doesn't compute... The thing that kind of gets my wheels turning a little bit is he was astute enough to say, oh, I don't want you spending all that money on Uber. Great. That's a check mark for some level of consideration. I'll meet you halfway though. Is it always going to be halfway? Is there ever going to be a time where... He's gonna to come to you all the way. And I think your concerns about is he ever gonna to offer to, you know, take me out or feed me or whatever it is, maybe not. He might offer to go Dutch, because it sounds like his way of compromising is halfway as opposed to alternating back and forth. You know, you've come to him so many times and he's only coming to you to the halfway point instead of coming all the way to you. That for me is a is I wouldn't say red flag, but it's something to ask for clarification about. Um, And if he's saying, I'm so tired from work and all that kind of stuff, well, that's not going to change. Work is only going to get worse as remote working goes away and all that kind of stuff. So what are his expectations and what are yours? I think you need to have a conversation about your expectations and say, look, even when my car does come back and it's not an Uber fee, I understand you're tired from work. I'm also tired from driving or whatever. So what is this going to look like going forward? What are your expectations about
2: this? Has he never come to you in Chicago? He came the first time, but I
0: kind of, like, he didn't offer. So when we decided to go out, I kind of sort of, I was like, okay, you can come by me.
2: Have you guys had sex? No. Have you guys kissed?
0: Not yet, because he he does live at home with his parents, and he doesn't want to, like, yeah, I guess, um, he doesn't want to, whatever, get them sick. But we were in his car together, and he kissed me on the cheek, so it doesn't make a difference, I guess, to me, because I've gotten the flu without kissing people on the wall.
2: You're
1: breathing on him. You're hes exposed.
0: You're in the same COVID. car with
2: him. If you guys yeah. have COVID, that's it. That's yeah, your COVID. I know. He doesn't get that,
0: but, you know, so.
2: Ooh, there's a lot to unpack here. I feel like Fotini did a really good job of doing it, though. I feel like we live in this new world where a lot of people, like what you said, oblivious. Some people just don't know what the dating rules are. Like, I don't even know if restaurants are open right now. Are they open? You know, like in Chicago, I have no idea. Um, and I don't know what they'll look like in a few weeks. And... I think this person is oblivious to what your expectations or what most women's expectations are in the courtship mm-hmm. of a relationship. Um, do I believe that he should be coming to you more? Yeah. Absolutely. I think if you were going to take an Uber, I to be honest, I think you should have offered to pay your Uber and you could have politely declined. So that way you don't owe anyone anything. These are just my initial reactions, but you know, like Fotini said, like it seems like you're going more to him than he's coming to you.
1: I I predict for you if you continue to date this guy, and it's no judgment if you do or don't. I predict for you though, you're gonna be constantly clarifying expectations. Because if Mm -hmm. this guy doesn't get that halfway is not really a compromise when you've been coming there and paying for Ubers and so on. And if he doesn't get that breathing on each other is exposure to COVID and kissing on the cheek is just as much exposure as making out with you, then he's just not connecting the dots very well. And so you're constantly gonna be connecting those dots and laying out expectations. So if you're cool with that, it's gonna be a high maintenance exercise for you in many ways.
2: The thing that I think kind of put me by surprise is when someone says, especially in the courtship time, I'm really tired from work. I, I don't know what would change. Like if, you know, somebody asked me last Wednesday about, um, Oh, my partner is studying for the actuary exam. And they said that they can't talk to me for a month. And I said, yeah, that's actually how hard actuary exams are. I, everyone, I've had a lot of clients who are actuaries. They will tell you, I can't date. I could not date for those two months. I was studying to take the exam. That's just two months though, going to work. we're all going to work if we're working and we're all going to feel tired and we still have to make time for dating and find the energy reserves for dating. And if they're not finding it during the courtship time, when they are available to date, then they're not really emotionally or physically invested in this relationship as they should be or as much as you.
0: Yeah, I definitely wanted to say something to him and and it did kind of like- What do you
2: like about him? Give me three things that you like about him right now, like whatever comes off top of your head. He's someone that I can talk to almost
0: like a friend. He's cute, Um, he does, He's passionate about what he does, and um, he's also passionate about other stuff like history, politics, and so I feel like on an intellectual level too, I can connect with him. The last date, his like fun side and funny side came out, so I also like that about him.
2: I think those are really good reasons to like someone, and it seems like you need to have a conversation with that person, and use the feel words that you learned today from Fotini. Like, I feel what's the right words for she should say here for to me?
1: I personally wouldn't feel appreciated if he's not making the effort to at least do this volley of back and forth. That for me would be it. I don't feel appreciated if I'm always the one coming to you or meeting halfway. I don't feel appreciated if on a regular day, you're too tired to see me because what's it's not extenuating circumstances. That would be my concern. When you, when you mention some of the things you like about him, those are all wonderful things to be attracted to I didn't hear you say anything about the way he treats you or the way he makes you feel. Right. I, I'm not seeing any reflection from him that he's
2: invested in you. Like Maria said, even from
1: your, what you admire in him.
2: I would say the first thing on your list for the right person should be, he admires me as much as I admire him. And I mean, I know that that takes time. Admiration can take time. It's not going to be the first five dates but he respects me as much as I respect him. That That's that's a part of admiration is respect. And I don't feel like he, I don't feel based on what you're saying that he respects you as much as you respect him. And I don't even know if you respect him to begin with. <laughs> I don't get that either from this. So I don't know. It seems like you might have to have a tough conversation.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was going to give it like this weekend and see what happens. I sort of already said something to him because after he canceled and I, I basically said it might've been a little harsh, but I just said, I don't want to hang out buddy and just go to the mall, whatever. And, um, and he's like, I know we can't go anywhere because of the pandemic. And he's like, I'm looking for a relationship as well. I mean, I didn't like,
2: but see, there are ways to have a relationship during a pandemic. I've had three clients get into relationships in the last three months. There are absolutely ways to have a relationship to pandemic. And you know, you mentioned he lives with his parents. That's probably a massive crutch, but A lot of people live with their parents right now because they've moved out of the city and whatnot. So, you know, there's no judgment on that. To me, it's putting in the effort to make the other person that you're dating feel acknowledged and feel wanted. And when a guy is not taking the first opportunity to come to you first, like you have to mention it on your own, I just feel like that's, that's a red flag. Stacey, thanks again for your question. I'm seeing a guy who is pretty great. I'm Christian, and he's not, and that's a really big deal for me. Do you think it's even worth pursuing? Yes, he's pretty great. Done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I you know I get these questions a lot, um, not just on Wednesdays on Ask a Matchmaker, but even at work, people will say, "Well, I'm Christian. That's really important to me, so I don't know if I'm open to other religions." And I always say, "Like, well, what's what is important to you in your religion?" So I can understand why you don't want to date outside your religion. And, you know, I've been doing this for like 12 years. I've only heard two people in 12 years tell me like parts of their religion that makes it difficult for them to date outside their religion. They'll say stuff like, well, I don't believe in the Holy Trinity and I can't be with someone who does. Like they'll actually cite specific religious examples. And, and religion is man-made, right? So they'll cite these, these structures, this dogma, I can't really argue with. It's like, okay, if this is your belief and it's the convictions that you have towards it, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. Great. Now, you know, I'll tell you what the obstacles are. If you only want to limit yourself to this one religion that you subscribe to. And these are the, these are the limitations. But usually what most people say is, well, you know, being this religion, I, you know, I really believe in family and closeness and family orientedness and Um, you know, I don't, I I don't go to church every Sunday, but I do go to church most Sundays and I want my kid to go on Sunday. You know, I want my kid to do CCD or Sunday school or whatever temple, you know, and I'm like, okay, sounds like you need to have a conversation with your boyfriend about what you want when you have children and see how they feel about it. Chances are they're going to be okay with it because they know you're also a different religion.
1: And if you don't have a Maria around you to help you figure that out, (laughs) here's here's the system, the method to figure this out. You said, it's a really big deal to me. Ask yourself why. When you've answered that question, ask it again. Then you've asked answered the why, answer that why one more time. Do it five times. Answer your whys five times. And you're going to get to the root cause of why it's a big deal for you. Once you get to the root cause, because th- that's a symptom, right? The Christian, Christianity is a symptom. What's the root cause of that? It's the value. My parents. Of it's the big relationship it. with your parents. So then go, okay, once I've got to the root cause, is there a solution around it? Is it something I'm willing to compromise on? Is there some way I can find a workaround for it? Because oftentimes there are definitely workarounds. Maybe, you know, your your significant other doesn't come home for Christmas with you because I don't know, that's just gonna cause a lot of fights. And if he's cool, not celebrating it, then that's fine. but ask yourself five whys. Don't stop until you get to the fifth one and that's what's gonna help you uncover the root cause of it. And then you can come up with solutions. If you've exhausted everything and you're like, there's no solution here because I want to eat kosher, because I want to baptize my children and they're super against it, because whatever that that deal breaker is for you, but until you ask enough whys, you're not gonna uncover the deal breakers.
2: And also just because they're the same religion as you, it doesn't mean you're gonna get everything you want out of that relationship either. Yeah. I mean, how many people I know that are Christian, that marry Christian and their and then their spouse transition to atheism or agnosticism <laughs> later on in the relationship? It's like, all right, you dated someone who's Christian. Okay. You're not married to someone who's Christian anymore.
1: <laughs> or you're both Christian and then you fight over whose family you're going to spend Christmas and Easter with. Right. It actually may work out better for you to be with somebody
2: who's Jewish. So you can do both. That's right. And you can then celebrate Christmaka. Let's answer one more question. I matched with a guy on Bumble and we moved to text, then to calling on the phone. And recently last week, we had our first FaceTime chat, which was great. Recently, we had our first in-person date during COVID at a restaurant. Social distancing rules applied where we met in person. When he got out of the car, I had seen him. He looked like he had gained 20 pounds from his pictures that he posted. And he is six foot one. Oh, the COVID-15. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I was surprised when I saw him, he had a suit and had one button on the jacket buttoned, but it was snug. So I tried to make the best of it and went through with the date. Okay, settle down. Anyway, uh, obviously I did not mention anything about the weight since that is rude. Yes, it is rude. During the whole date, I kept seeing a side by side before and after photo of him while I looked at him. I really liked the guy and I agreed to a second date. My question is, am I being too picky with the whole weight thing? Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, yes, (laughs) the end done
1: (laughs) unless he's like morbidly obese now and that's a reflection of a different lifestyle and so on right there's this is i mean this is splitting hairs it's ridiculous
2: it's it, it truly is you know imagine if you hit it off with this guy imagine down the line you get married imagine you are pregnant imagine you have a baby and now imagine that you are now at least 20 pounds overweight would you want him looking at you on a side by side of who he used to date and who he has now? You know, we also have to be fair about the reality of what we live in. There is a COVID-15 thing going on. Um, a lot of people are stress eating because this is a stressful time. That is, for some people, a coping mechanism. I'm not saying it's healthy, but it's reality for many people. At the same time, it's only 20 pounds. Like, it just doesn't seem, like, I'm reading this and I feel like some of the words that are being said just seem really judgy. Yeah, He had a suit and had one butt on the jacket and it was snug. So I try to make the best of it. The best of what? He didn't do anything. He's just dressed the best of someone being dressed. Sure. It's, it's very, mm.
1: ask yourself why that's a problem. If you're, if you're that vain and it's super important to you, no judgment, but you, then you can end it. No problem. But if, then you're probably going to be alone for a long time because most people can't keep up with a certain level of fitness until they're 70 anyway. So do you want to be with someone with a six pack right now? Who's going to drive you nuts later? Or do you want to be within a certain, everybody's got boundaries. Like I said, I can't date somebody who's morbidly obese because that for me is a reflection of habits and a lifestyle that just doesn't connect with mine. I don't want to be chained to my couch watching Netflix every single night. I want somebody who's going to want to go for a walk with me. Those are things that are important to me because it's about my health and wellness. And if we don't have that in common, then that's a problem. I also would never date anybody who goes to the gym seven days a week because that's also a lifestyle problem for me. I want to have a life. It's okay to have boundaries. But if you're asking for for permission to be more vain, go for it if you want to, but know what the consequences are.
2: Ooh, that was good. You know, you just reminded me, I know someone who's on the cover of romance novels, like the the male model. Fabio style? Yeah, yeah, he's hotter. You know, we're Facebook friends, which unfortunately sometimes I feel like I know too much about your life when you're on Facebook, if you're posting everything, especially people who are really into fitness. And I see his like daily routine and I'm just like, wow, I could not date this person. If I had the opportunity, if he was into me, I would have to pass, even though he's beautiful. It's a lot. It's, you know, being at the gym, like he has a proper job, you know, nine to five. And then he's at the gym four hours a day. And he also, you know, puts images of the food he's eating and the protein shakes. Like I'm like, this is this is your girlfriend. This is all the time that you would have for a relationship. It's being put into this and Hey, if this is what makes you happy, go for it. But sometimes, you know, we look at these people on Men's Health Magazine or uh, even Women's Health Magazine, you know, you see certain bone structures and certain body types and, you know, we can admire them. But at the same time, there's a lot of hard work going behind those things. And being a part of that lifestyle, that means, you know, taking away fun time from other activities that you might want to share with that person. They might not have the capacity to do that.
1: Yeah. It's got to be a reflection of, do you fit into their lifestyle and do they fit into your lifestyle? Yeah, this person who's 20 pounds or more overweight doesn't fit into your lifestyle because you go, they're just going to be a couch potato, that's okay. No judgment. But are you going to fit into that person's lifestyle? Are they never going to carve out time for you? If you're going to have kids with that person and then, so let's say you're dating Mr. Six Pack and now Mm -hmm. it's time to have children. And they're going to be running to the gym to maintain the six pack that you want. And that's going to leave you as single parent status for X number of hours a week. Are you going to be okay with that too? So, but drawing the lines of like, what's extreme boundaries for you and playing within those. And it doesn't sound like 20 pounds is a very extreme boundary
2: for me. This was awesome. I feel like you just gave a ton of information. I'm sure anyone listening to this might actually rewind a couple of seconds and start literally writing down your templates of how to talk to people. Um, I know I certainly will. Follow Fotini on Instagram. Her handle is Fotini Icon, F-O-T-I-N-I-I-C-O-N. Or you can visit her website, FotiniIcon.com. You can find this information in the episode notes. Do you want more dating and relationship tips? You can slide into my DMs. Warning, I do screenshots, my thing. And uh, on Instagram, Matchmaker Maria. Thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you love what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts don't forget to subscribe. If you have a dating or relationship question or a big aha from any of these episodes, I would love it if you shared it by emailing us at askamatchmakerpodcast at gmail.com. Until then, see you next week.